0: Hi there. So it was supposed to be a different season here at Second Breaks, but then all kinds of things happened with the world. And so I decided to temporarily put those episodes on the shelf and talk about things that are more relevant for this moment in time, this weird time that we are all experiencing and so for the next weeks, and I don't really know how long it's going to be as I'm developing this on the fly, we're going to focus on career continuity and resilience here on the podcast. My name's Lou Blazer. You're listening to Second Breaks. This is episode 123. hello my friend things are a lot intense nerve-wracking really as I record this episode and as I mentioned in the intro I had a totally different season developed which you might have heard about if you're a regular listener of the show I had wonderful conversations with my heroes with my mentors and I'm very excited to share their words of wisdom with you it's just gonna have to wait for a few things for uh, some time until things settle down a bit. I also feel that the podcast can better serve you right now if we focused on topics that are top of mind. But uh, don't worry. <laughs> I know the COVID 19 is top of mind, but I'm not gonna be, I have no plans anyway of talking about the virus directly. What we're gonna focus on is what this podcast and the Second Breaks newsletter has always been about. We've always been about exploring how we navigate a changing world of work And if what we are experiencing right now isn't a changing world of work, then I don't know what is. So the season's topic is career continuity and resilience. And I'm putting this together on the fly, so I can't tell you how many episodes we're going to have for this season. But I will be bringing in guests who can help us analyze our options, see opportunities, and help us with our mindset, which is one of the most important things to get a handle of as we navigate these uncharted Waters. Now, three things that I would like to ask of you. Thing number one if you have questions about career continuity and resilience, send me an email, lou at secondbreaks.com, and I'll be sure to uh, tackle those during the uh, upcoming episodes. Thing number two subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the episodes this season. And thing number three, share the podcast with your friends who may benefit from the topics that we're going to cover. Oh, one other thing, I publish a weekly curated newsletter also called Second Breaks. And just like this podcast, the newsletter will be focused on information that will help you frame your next steps and insights that can inform how you move forward. The reality is none of us have been in this situation before, and we could all use some guidance in how best to proceed. But if we were swimming in information and data before, it's even worse now. I don't know if you feel that way, but it's getting harder and harder to find the signal from the noise. And that's where you can rely on the Second Breaks newsletter. This is my most important job now to do the research, to scour the most reliable source of information and deliver the most relevant and timely and reliable information so you can make the right decisions for yourself and your career. So I encourage you to sign up for that. It's free. Go to secondbreaks.com forward slash newsletter to sign up. All right, let's talk about what we're going to talk about today. My guest is Dr. Naila Vary, and if you are a regular listener to the show, you may remember that she joined me for the first episode of this year, which feels like, you know, forever ago. Dr. Barry is a leadership and career development coach whose body of work centers on our relationship with our work. And one of her significant research was on career resilience. She studied people who were negatively impacted by the 2008 uh, recession, and she published her observations on the behaviors that helped them not only overcome the situation, but also thrive in their next careers. I asked her back on the show to revisit her research. Research and to see what we can glean from her observations that we can apply today so we can position ourselves as best we can. Kind of like learning from what other people have gone through, right? Okay, let me transition to my chat with Dr. Nyla Bari and I'll catch up with you at the back end. Nyla, crazy times. Crazy times we are in, right? Crazy, crazy times.
1: Um, I'm, I'm still trying to make heads or tails of not only the big picture, but the small moments, like how to handle having everybody in the house and the feeding cycles and who gets, you know, to sit in what part of the
0: house and how much Wi-Fi do we have? There's all that stuff going on. Yeah. So a few months ago, you joined me here on the podcast to talk about career resilience. And, and, And one of the things that we talked about at that time was this incredible work that you did studying, researching some of the folks who were negatively impacted by the 2008 recession. And so I wanted to revisit that with you today. And First off, let's just both recognize this is not the same thing exactly as 2008. Right. Obviously, there's a health crisis, health-related crisis going on that's resulting in a financial crisis. So, you know, different. But I would imagine, and, and we could talk about this is there, from a, an anxiety level, from in terms of what people are experiencing, from in terms of like what people are having to, to think about, there are probably some similarities in terms of uncertainty and what do I do now? Yeah. Kind of yeah. stuff. So I want to see, I guess let's just open it up as an open sort of conversation. What is there something that we can glean from your observations that we can apply today?
1: Sure. I mean, I, I'll say to echo some of what you've just mentioned, it's hard to know how how to what degree we can draw parallels between what happened then and what's happening now. I mean the scope of this from a time perspective is so unknown. And I think that makes things a little bit different. Um, I think the other, one of the other things that that I'm thinking about now is that when we watch the financial crisis, as we called it in 2008, kind of catapult us into the difficulty, then I I think we felt like we could segment industries and we could say, well, this people who work in this kind of work are going to be impacted and I'll be safe for a while. Mm -hmm. I think what we're still figuring out is who are, who, who's who now, and is anybody really going to be okay? And uh, should I be worried? Should I not be worried? I think that one of the things that's both demoralizing but also kind of empowering about h- facing a global health crisis is that we're all in this together. You can't really say, "Well, those guys down on Wall Street, you know, they're they're having some set of experiences that I can't relate to." We really don't know. Yeah. So I would yeah. say from the outset that makes us quite different. The last time I came to visit you was around the new year we were talking about how to start strong and kind of how to and I was I was offering a lot of insight about what we should be doing when times are good to be ready Uh, and it's amazing how rapidly things have turned around the good news is that I don't think a lot of the behaviors are very different I mean if you as you'll remember one of the things I have found in my research and in my coaching work is that the good news in all of this is that our ability to move ourselves forward is largely based on behavior. It's largely based on actions we can take. And of course, there are circumstances happening around us that feel overwhelming, that feel ambiguous, uh, that feel downright scary. Um, And yet all I know is that as we're all sitting in our homes in front of our computers and our phones, all we can manage is what's happening in our internal environment, how we're managing ourselves, and then the actions we're taking as a result of our thinking and our feelings. And that's what I hope we can talk about today is when you are sitting at home and we are just as at the beginning of this, um, what can you be doing now to not only make yourself uh, think and feel more positively but also to take action that is gonna move us all forward?
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So on that note, you, I'm sure, have read, uh, have seen a lot of the different sort of advice floating around out there. I said they're all wide-ranging, too. So there's some advice that says don't expect anything from yourself other than self-care. Don't expect, yeah. don't, don't don't be thinking big things or planning big things or whatever if 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 what makes you feel better is to stay in front of the Netflix and watch Netflix, hope <laughs> so they do that. And then there's also the sort of advice that says – you know, this is uh, a take, take advantage, quote unquote, of this time to reflect, to think about, to ask questions, to think about what you might want to do, to some some sort of long term planning as far as you can, you can make that happen. So I was wondering, where, where do you stand in all that sort of like, what do you think is the best approach?
1: I think it's such a great question. Um, I read something yesterday that was like, you don't have to write a novel. During this period of time, and I was like, "Whoa, that's a relief!" Because I, I, there's a part of me that becomes the kind of person who wants to write a novel right now. Well,
0: there was this, uh, there was this meme that I saw about like a week ago. Shakespeare apparently wrote, was it King Lear or whatever it was that he wrote, what whichever of his things he wrote, while he was, um, I guess, in jail or whatever it was. And... Yeah, you're seeing a lot of those things. Like the theory theory of uh,
1: gravity or something was developed when there was the plague in Europe. Like there's all these kinds of empowering messages saying, oh, if you're quarantined in your home, you should be, you know, inventing some new something. Uh, Yeah.
0: So I checked that out. There's a meme going around reminding us that Shakespeare wrote King Lear while being quarantined due to the bubonic plague. But the question is, did he really write this play in that condition? The Guardian says, maybe... To put this in context, between 1603 and 1613, the height of Shakespeare's writing prowess, London playhouses were regularly shut down for a total of 78 months, 60% of the time, due to outbreaks of the bubonic plague. Doctors had no idea what was causing the flare-up, so they would ban mass gatherings and shut down playhouses, amongst others. So it's very plausible that Shakespeare wrote the play during those months.
1: So here's my, my stance on this. Listen, I'm going through this like everybody else is right now. And there are moments I wake up in a cold sweat, right? Like in a panic, like, oh my God, are my parents going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? Are my kids going to be okay? Um, there are moments where I'm like, whoo! listen, I have a whole day ahead of me to design how I wish. Um, I can tackle a couple of home projects and work and make the most of it. Uh, what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to tell people um, that I'm working with to do is to... For this, especially for this first week or two, let's just be gentle with ourselves. Like, I don't know if there's been anything in our lifetime that has felt quite so unknown. Um, so let's be kind to ourselves and notice that there are days where we feel super productive and like capable. Like, I'm a superhero; I can do this. And there's days where all I want to do is wear sweatpants all day and maybe stay in my bed all day. Yeah. Um, so I, I like. There's a few things this kind of brings up for me that are habits that I have acquired through. My coaching and my research, one of them is by paying a lot of attention to how I'm feeling in the moment and trying not to have a lot of opinions about the feelings, but just to notice. Like if I need a little bit of gentleness right now, whether that means like I need an extra hug from my husband or I need to phone a friend, okay, like that's not a big deal. I can do it, pay attention to it, honor it. It doesn't mean I'm a weak person. It doesn't mean that I'm destined to squander two months at home during which I could have written a novel. It just means that right now I need a hug or a phone call. The second thing is that I have learned that my battles are won in the day planner. Um, So Annie Dillard has a quote, which I'm going to butcher if I try to do it exactly verbatim, that says pretty much how we spend this hour and next hour
0: is how we're spending our days, which is basically how we spend our lives. So, Okay, so Annie Dillard's quote comes from her book, The Writing Life, where she says, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. A schedule defense from chaos and whim. It is a net for catching days. It is a scaffolding on which a worker can stand and labor with both hands at sections of time. A schedule is a mock-up of reason and order, willed, faked, and so brought into being. It is a peace and a haven set into the wreck of time. It is a lifeboat on which you find yourself decades later, still living. The time, time is fluid, it
1: will escape us if we're not careful. And so the way that I counteract some of this kind of I don't know what to do is by having something to do. Um, I use a day planner, I use a paper planner. Um, I learned that through a tutoring session with my daughter once and I use it to map out how do I want to Use the hours of the day in which I'm going to be productive. I'm not expecting a 10-hour productive day for myself right now, but I expect three or four hours a day that I can get something done. My list includes things like check in on clients and work on this uh, deck for this presentation. It also includes things like do your laundry and make sure you work out today. Um, but to me, that is the the it's one of the solutions that has been reliable for me um, and for my clients. And, and I learned it from people I spoke with who had been through career crisis to just say, okay, you have to have something you want to get done every day and write it down because offers discipline and structure in a time where that's not available otherwise. So maybe that's where
0: we start. Those people who were negatively affected by the 2008, the, the folks who you studied, do you remember them talking about how quickly they became productive or how, how, how quickly they started doing stuff? It varied, but here's what I do remember.
1: You know, there's a number of people who are featured in the actual dissertation, the research that I published, but I had talked over the years to hundreds of people who'd been through this. And the thing was that 100% of them said to me, it was just really hard to be laid off, even if I saw it coming. And like that feels reminiscent of where we are now. Like you can watch already which companies, which industries are contracting. And even if you can see it coming down the pike a few weeks out, and you suspect that you yourself will be impacted, perhaps that minimizes the shock, but it doesn't minimize pain, necessarily. So that's something else I want to offer is that I, my experience has been that even when you, and I've been in this position where I was laid off, as you guys know, from the last job, um, the last full-time job I had, I saw it coming months and months away. I was if I'm honest, secretly a little bit grateful because I needed a kick in the butt to get out on my own and really launch my own practice full time. Um, but it, I can't say it didn't feel a little bit like, oh, you mean I'm disposable? You mean that at the end of the day, I am someone you can remove from payroll? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's something I would say everybody has that sense of like, huh. Uh, sometimes it's like massive grief, massive shock, massive pain. Sometimes it's just a little bit of like, oh, me too. You know, that collapse of, oh, I thought somehow I'd get, I'd be the one you kept. Uh, so first I want to say everyone goes through that and there's no right or wrong way to handle that. The people that I I spoke to at that time, so I was talking to them a few years after the massive impact of the recession, some of them were up and at it trying things within – A day or two, out of necessity, out of their own personal personality and the kind of way they like to operate, some of them took time to reflect, to rest, um, to reflect, to plan, to focus on other things. I don't know if there's a right way to do it, but um, I think that some of the work that we'll talk about, we can be doing even if it looks like we're going to be okay. I think we should engage in some of this work anyway. The concept of time. Um, I think it's just another way of being hard on ourselves. Um, I I would never underplay the practical necessity of having to bring a paycheck home and figure out what you're going to do. But I would also say that let's not compound that by putting ourselves in unreasonable deadlines of like, oh my God, I have
0: to be back to work on Tuesday. Like, let's just, it's not going to help us. I like something that you said just there, uh, just now, you said something about, um, even if you are relatively, sh- th- I mean, let's just face it. Like, there are some jobs that are probably more than likely going to be okay. And then there are some that are going to be in the 50-50. But I like what you said, that there are some certain types of things that we can think about, even if you feel that you're going to be relatively safe. So for example, I, I actually, uh, re- I can't remember where I read it. I read so many articles this past week. And the question that this writer posed was that, How would you want to be on the other side of this issue? And that's kind—I think that's what you're thinking. You're you're referring to, like how um, how do I want to change as a result of this? Is along those lines?
1: There's a short game we're playing, and there's a long game we're playing. Right? Mm -hmm. The short game is around mitigating crisis, figuring out how to get back to work in an appropriate, suitable way as soon as possible. And I also think there is a longer game of figuring out through this process of, of my next step what do I gain in terms of capability to be able to do this again? Because listen, if you would ask me when I wrote my dissertation and did that research 10 years ago, am I, am I going to see in 10 years another event like this? I would be like, no, I mean, come on, we just came out of that, right? right. Um, and I never would have wished on anyone that my findings would be so relevant so fast again so soon. But One of the things that's going to change for me is this is that sense of taking an artificial rest of feeling like, oh, you know, I got through that crisis. So now I'm safe for the future. When I say the short term and or the short game, I do think that right now people like you, people like me are going to be really focused on helping Those who are displaced through this crisis get back to work appropriately as soon as possible. I also hope that part of our work is saying the things we're going to talk to you about and teach you and offer you in terms of habits and practices now are things you can draw on again in the future, whether or not the world changes around you or you change. You know, one of the things I found was so interesting during my own journey through my research and how it shaped my subsequent career is that so many of the people I work with are not getting laid off. They're not getting displaced. They're not getting fired. They're just like, I I know that this thing I'm doing, spending most of my time doing, it's not for me. It's just not right anymore. So the change is being instigated on the inside. So you know, when you ask me where do you want, how do I want to feel, how do I want people I work with to feel the end of this, feel capable. I want them to feel resilient. I want them to feel like whether the change happens because of external forces or internal forces, I have a sense of what to do to get back on my feet. Um, So that's, I think, the the bizarre opportunity
0: that we're presented with right now. Uh, Let me phrase this correctly. So some of the people who were negatively affected by the past recession took that opportunity, if you want to call it that way, if we want to call it that way, but took that opportunity to make a career change, Mm. a career shift, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I remember you saying that not all of them did some of them actually re uh, recommitted to their career path and continued yeah. down that path. And so along those lines, I wanted to ask you this situation that we're in, um, is this a good time to be thinking about that, about a career change? We might have to be thinking about making career changes. I think
1: that there are sectors of the economy that are going to be really slow to come back. Um, and so... It's hard to know now if they'll never come back, but I think we're going to have to be all thinking about variety and versatility. Um, You're right that when I studied this last time, the way that I characterize people who are thriving is really not about whether they're in the same industry or making a change. It's all about the nature of their relationship with work, right? So the people who are thriving stop feeling so powerless in relation to work. They start understanding their agency, they start reclaiming their freedom. They have optimism. They have creativity. So that to me is industry agnostic. Whether you choose to go back into working in marketing or whether you choose to stay in the sector uh, like retail or hospitality is secondary to me. The first, the most important thing for me when I think about this definition I use of thriving is about your relationship to work. And I think it's possible to have a positive, creative, balanced relationship with work,
0: whether you stay in the same industry or you change. Got it. Yeah, no, totally. Let's revisit the whole, the, the, the behaviors piece, right? <laughs> um, there were certain behaviors that you've observed. So do you mind walking us through it? Yeah. The way
1: I, I organize the behaviors into kind of two sets of practices and I, um, over the, over the years it's evolved since like the very first time I was talking about it, um, in conferences and on my first set of podcasts, but let's use this framework. I say that the work is a balance of inner and outer work. There is work that has to be done privately, um, internally with your mind, your heart, even your body, just to understand where you come from, what you want out of work, what you're proud of, what you need right now, where your strengths are, where your curiosities are taking you. Um, That is exercised through a couple of habits. One of them is reflection, uh, which we'll talk about journaling exercises that help you kind of outputting um, your thoughts into some kind of format that you can use. So that's one set of behaviors, this inner work. The other set is outer work, which is around activating your network in an influential and meaningful way about conducting experiments which we've talked about before side hustles falls into that category um doing things that are just good for you that really have nothing to do with your primary form of work but just mm-hmm. make you feel like a whole person again so the, the behaviors so what i found in my in my research is that these behaviors are things people often kind of backed themselves into. It's not that they were ordinarily like great meditators or people who really knew how to have a very strategic approach to their network, but they got back into a corner by saying, you know, months over months over months, I'm not sure what I should be doing. So I'm just going to keep throwing things uh, out there and seeing where I get reception. And I was noticing these patterns. So I always say now when I work with clients, we are going to put you into a cycle of inner and outer work. So some of it happens alone behind your laptop or with a pen and paper in your hand, ideally. Some of it happens out in the universe. Now that out part is starting to feel a little bit different, right? Because networking is looking differently, connecting is looking different. I don't think it's a bad time to be out doing it. In fact, I recently put something out saying, I think now's a great time to network. I think people are... Confused, they are lonely, uh, and they are desperate for connection, which is a wonderful time to extend yourself and figure out your offer and your ask. Um, so we can talk about that too. But yes, inner and outer work,
0: um, where do you want to start? So I have a question about the inner work. So, it, it, and I, part of this question is uh, self indulgent because. This is one of my challenges, is that I, you know, reflection, asking ourselves questions, and sometimes that reflection takes time. It's not like I ask myself a question and you have the answer, poof, you know, and (laughs) and this is one of my challenges, is because sometimes I get frustrated because I would ask, you know, these sort of, you know, questions and not know the answer yet, right? And so how do you, how, how, what do you suggest for people like me, what we do? <laughs> well, I think,
1: again, there's going to be a, um, almost like an internal a solution and an external solution. I think the first thing is that I, I my sense is that that's, that's part of kind of our instant gratification culture It's like, well, if I sit down with my notebook in an hour, I should have a plan because that's how it works right like I don't know maybe we watched it on tv or something or we just have the sense that I could just put it in my amazon cart and I'll have
0: I think you were just talking about me this is exactly what goes out of my head if if I set I said an hour and a half I will have a plan <laughs> yeah so I think part of it
1: is like the proverbial let yourself off the hook right that is just an expectation uh that is it's honestly for most of us even those of us who journal regularly and are like always talking to ourselves it's unreasonable. Um, and it also, I think, you know, my, my very wise friend, um, Sarah once said to me, Nyla, there are seasons in our lives. And part of my, when I think about that idea, and as we were talking about work in that case, you know, I was thinking about dialing back some work to focus on other things. And I was feeling some apprehension about that. And she said to me, there's seasons in your life and there's a season where you accelerate and there's seasons where you downshift. And I think about that as a, as a lot. And I, when you talk about kind of the expectation of should I be able to churn out a plan for myself, um, I think go I go back to nature and think, well, things take time to grow, and things take time to germinate. And I think of that myself when um, I, myself, or my clients want an instant answer. Like, I should know by now. How could I not know in my mid-40s what I'm supposed to be doing with my life? I know. Um, and I think, well, we haven't always asked ourselves those questions. And so to even plant that seed of a question is going to take time and care and attention and maybe not paying attention for a few days just so it can like cook in the background, germinate. Um, so that's the first thing I would offer. The second thing is that, um, Parker Palmer, who's, um, a teacher and writer I really value says, um, inner work is personal, but it doesn't have to be private. And I, I think about that a lot because I think the impression we have is that the inner work is done in isolation. And although I do, require, I do think it, it requires being alone with yourself a little, I think it also is something that we can invite people to be a part of. And if I think about my own journey towards figuring out what i meant to do and be in the world, I have not done that alone. I have sat in this office or my other office upstairs with my journal. I've sat in coffee shops. I have taken long walks in the woods alone. And- I have engaged people I trust and love and value in that conversation. And I think that is part of the um, antidote to urgency is to say, you know, there's patience in helping someone come to their own conclusions. And I think both as the recipient and as the listener, that wisdom, that process slows us down enough to really pay attention. And I think it eases some of the pressure that we feel to know like right now what am I supposed to do if I am on day 7 of being isolated in my house and I'm anticipating that I am going to be displaced or my job is going to come to an end if I you know if I'm feeling the pressure to figure this out by lunch sometimes to me the the solution to that is to call somebody and say can you be with me through this thinking and I can you engage with me and ask me good questions and listen to me and I you know one of the outer work behaviors that I, um, maybe it's inner and outer, one of the behaviors that I saw in the people who I studied that were thriving were that they were really learning about themselves through their networking conversations. So they would say to people, not just I want to call you and talk to you about how you launched your podcast, Lou, but Lou, now you and I have done a whole bunch of work together. And And tell me what you notice, about where I light up when we're talking, tell me about the kinds of things you're like, you know, who would know Nyla would know, let's call let me call Nyla that's all part of this reflection is to do it not in isolation, but
0: brilliant. I I absolutely love that. So want to tie it back to the other thing that you were saying about this might actually be a good time to network because we are all experiencing the same thing. Right. And so um, maybe, I don't know, I haven't tried this, but maybe this is a good time to your point. It's just, Hey, Nyla, can, Can we brainstorm together? Because I'm thinking this, let me just bounce it off you and you bounce it back. Like, can you, can we just brainstorm together? I
1: love that. And I think this is ironic. A lot of people, I have found myself um, here in the last couple of weeks, like setting my kids up for like, you know, homeschooling, quote unquote. And doing more cooking than we usually do and all that kind of stuff. But I also find myself with bizarre periods of time where I'm like, okay, I can either spiral into the CNN black hole or I can make a more productive choice for myself. So I, I like probably many people, have like that list of people I meant to follow up with about that thing. Mm. Um, and I reached out to a number of them and said, I know we've been trying to get coffee on the calendar for four months. So I have a coffee maker. You have a coffee maker. We have Zoom. Let's do it now. And so, <laughs> exactly. Um, um, it's, it's you know what, it's forcing me to uh, think about my time differently. And it's making certain things that felt like they I couldn't fit them in, I can fit them in. So I think now is a great time. And again, I think one of the things I learned when I was studying people who were laid off is how vulnerable they feel. Like they feel so exposed, like, oh my God, now I have to ask for something because I'm the one who's been displaced. Um, And one of the findings was that people, this idea of learning from your network kind of neutralizes that vulnerability because this is a learning conversation. It's not a transactional conversation. It's not like I'm asking you for something that you can give me. We're talking about ideas or insights. This is another time where I feel that commonality. I feel like everyone's kind of uneasy. Everyone's uncertain. Everyone feels some vulnerability. So it's extremely leveling to call people who have 20 more years experience than you or, 20 years less experience than you and say, Hey, this is a, we've been trying to talk. This is a good time to just see how you are. I'm curious about how you're experiencing the changes in your own life. How's your family? Um, what are you thinking about? You know, in the, we talked earlier about like the memes about this is a great time to kind of, you know, start your business or write your novel. The other, the other memes that I'm co- that are coming across my line of sight, whether or not I think they're hundred percent accurate, it's yet to be determined. But it kind of, um, there's all these concepts around, like, did it really take something of this nature to slow us down so substantially? And I mean, I hate to think any of those things are true, but I know that I have said, like many people I know, oh my God, one day when I have time or I'm just so busy or there's no time for this. And, um, I think, you know, with life coming to a screeching halt, uh, we're forced to reckon with, you know, how much of that chaos are we creating? How much of that busyness was self-inflicted. And uh, when you asked earlier, what would I like to see in the other end of this? How would we like to be? Um, I think in the same way that I want people to be more capable of managing their careers in the long run, I want them to be more reflective of how they're spending their time. I want that for myself, right? Um, But I think that's one of the things that the work that I think people can be doing right now uh, is to be thinking about what you know, I, I ask this question often, like, what is work worth doing for you? You know, what is work worth doing? What are the things in your day that are worth doing? And I offer that to people even in great economic times to say, you know, how do you want to spend your day? How do you want to count for your weeks and your months and your years? Um, again, I wouldn't have wished that life had to come to a screeching halt for all us, for all of us to have a moment to ask ourselves that question. But this is what I mean by inner work. Like this is the opportunity to say to yourself, Okay, like if I have to start again, how do I want things to be? Where do I want to be contributing? What kind of value do I want to be adding to the work, to the world in exchange for salary and paycheck? Um, how do I want my joyful pleasure, leisure time to be? Who do I want to be around? Um, how do I want to take care of myself? Um, to me, when you ask what can I be doing now, that's what we can be doing now. Uh, there's too much churn to really know, in my view, exactly what we should be doing externally. Other than keeping your ties warm, talking to people, having a few laughs over Zoom. Like, I think we should be doing all those things. And I think, um, ask yourself these questions. What is work worth doing? What is, what is how am I supposed to be spending my time at this stage of my life, in this season of my life? These are really important questions.
0: I love that. Great. So, you mentioned things. So, what if? what if you unfortunately are one of the folks who already know that either you've already been impacted because it you know the business you're in already closed down you're been laid off already or you have you have a very good you have a feeling that it's gonna happen um so one of the behaviors is around experimentation and I it and I I wanted to ask this question not because it's something that we should be doing today, right now, but just sort of like to plant a seed in our heads. What is experimentation? If you're, what does that look like? How does that feel?
1: Yeah, so what I usually say to that question is, um, let's start with the research question we're trying to understand, right? So that's like a researcher's answer to how do I design a good experiment? What am I trying to understand? Right. So it might be a practical thing, like how do I get health insurance again? How do I find a job that is going to allow me to provide for my family with health insurance? So then we know what we're hunting for, right? We have a question we're in search of. It might be a question that's more personal or abstract in, in, um, in nature. So, how do I want to spend my time? now? Or if I know that this is the discipline I want to be and I gave um, an example earlier uh, in another conversation I was having about a friend of mine who's trying to launch her own design practice. What's the first question he, she has to ask in order to design the right experiment? So in her case, it's, are my skills as robust as they need to be? What are people who are hiring designers right now looking for in terms of skills with different kinds of programs? Do I have the right skills? That becomes her set of questions. So then her experiments are designed to answer that question. Um, Will someone pay me for my freelance services in this domain? That is the question you need to design in order to construct the right experiment to find out. I think that's how I try to think about it. What do I need to know? What is the thing where I have a knowledge gap that I want to close? That's where I start right now. And again, I want to just, we, we talked about this briefly earlier, but I want to touch on the fact that there are both practical and personal needs, right? There are, there, I don't want to ever diminish the fact that people are starting to think about how am I going to pay my mortgage or my rent or uh, my health insurance right now. And I still think asking that question generates more options, than feeling like I have to right-size myself into, if I worked in retail and my the store I worked in is is closed right now, I don't know that the answer is, the question is like, where can I get another job in retail? The question is, okay, what is, my, what is the thing I have to find out? I have to find out how I'm going to pay for health insurance or how I'm going to find health insurance. And I think that allows us to generate options differently because um, we can start imagining different forms that the answer could take. So I, yeah, let's let's ask a different question. Uh, And that, you know, back to our conversation around um, how to use your network right now. Uh, That might be the way to do it is to say, okay, if there's a handful of us who come from a company or from a store or from an outfit that is experiencing a lot of uh, contracting right now, let's get on the phone together and think, okay, what is the, what is the question we're trying to solve for? And then let's generate options.
0: Yeah that, uh, uh, made me think about another way or another use, quote unquote use for these conversations. It's just me finding out like, Nyla, what are you asking yourself these days? It's very instructive to me because I might not be asking those things. That's right. Right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of, uh, I think
1: isolation can create so much paralysis. Um, and, uh, this is not something we have to solve for independently. And, and that's true even in great times, right? I think You know, we sometimes think of career development or uh, leadership development as like some kind of solo hero's journey. And uh, I don't believe we don't work in isolation. We don't have to live in isolation. We don't have to solve problems in isolation. So it's not.
0: One final question, Nyla. One of the um, surprising observations that you shared with me the last time is this notion that. If you're a positive thinker you're better off but your research showed that it's it's not about being positive a positive thinker or pessimist or optimist and so could you talk a little bit about that because I know that there are some people who are naturally not positive, not optimist right so um, you know sometimes we talk
1: about uh, a happiness set point. Um, and that's, you know, there's a, I'm trying to think of the name of the book. I actually have it in front of me. It's, uh, the how of happiness. There's a researcher named Sonia Lubramirsky. I don't think I'm pronouncing that right, but we can put it in the show notes. She talks about a happiness set point point. Um, and saying that most of us, you know, we think about the pie of happiness, like about probably about half of our happiness factor and happiness is not the same thing as optimism, but I'm using it as a, as a metaphor, um, about half of our happiness at it's like the way we're wired. And um 10% in her eyes is circumstantial and 40% is up to us, which I think is a you know it's a significant amount that we can manage through behaviors and habits and thinking. Um, so I think about that in terms of optimism too. Some of us are set to be just glass half full. Like, you know, if I even think about my family, the four of us, some of us are a little more towards the optimistic side than the others. Um what I learned. In, and I see this not just with the people I originally studied, but with my clients, is that some of us are a little bit wired towards the Eeyore glass half-empty tendency, like, oh, no, here we go again, panic. Um and that's okay as long as we recognize those are just thoughts that we have and that's just uh, those are ideas that we have and they don't have to be true. Uh, so the thing that I learned from studying people was that they were learning to manage their minds. They were learning to take action even though it felt sometimes against their nature and they were doing things to change their outcomes. Now, sometimes I think we change our thoughts to change our actions. Sometimes we take action and we reverse engineer our thoughts. Um, And I love having that conversation because there's a lot of people would say, just change your thoughts and then your actions will be different. Sometimes I, I, sometimes, and sometimes it's like, you know what, I'm just going to pretend I love to work out every day for like two months. And then eventually my thoughts will change. But if I had tried to condition myself the other way around, I would still be sitting on my couch all day. Um, So the good news is that um, we can start through action. In my experience, we can start by putting good habits in place, like using your day planner to win the day through a couple of organized accomplishments. You can start by reaching out to people, even if it makes you sweat a little bit and your stomach hurts doing it, just do it once, twice, three times and have a couple of productive conversations and it will become easier for you to do it in the long run. I really think especially now, uh, maybe don't think about it so much, just take some action, even if it's imperfect action. Uh, to move yourself forward sit with your journal and look at it and you know mentally wrestle with it for a few hours at a time in your kitchen it's okay if you don't write something beautiful you don't have to um and the people i see who thrive are just disciplining themselves to keep getting back to the page to get back to the phone to getting back to the experiment even though it doesn't always feel good um you don't have to believe everything you think you don't have to uh fall for your feelings all the time. Sometimes we just take action. Other things fall into place.
0: Nyla, thank you so much. I know this was such a last minute, last minute request or ask, and you said yes right
1: away. You you know what? I said this to you earlier. Like I hate, I've always kind of felt this little anxiety around, God, the work I do is about people at the worst of moments. But you know what? Um, We're here.
0: On that note, where can we find you online?
1: Uh, My website, nylabari.com. That's N-A-Y-L-A-B-A-H-R-I.com. You'll see my writings. You'll see links to my Instagram, to my LinkedIn. I post, I'm trying to post more these days. Um, I'm also launching my podcast with my friend, Eric Johnson, later this spring. It's called Inside Job. It is a podcast about work and how we relate to work and how we can have a better, stronger, more productive relationship with the work we do.
0: And I would love to hear from people.
1: So please reach out, email, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever.
0: Nyla, thank you for people like you. We need you these days. So thank you.
1: Uh, Lou, thank you so much for having me.
0: I hope you found this episode useful for the show notes and all the links. Head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash podcast. Next week, my guest is leader, business owner, employer, and founder of What Works Network, Tara McMullen we talk about what she's focusing on, what planning looks like for her during this time when we can't tell what's happening next month, let alone six months from now, and how she's choosing to show up and be a leader in the community. I want to repeat my three asks from the top of the show. Thing number one, if you have specific questions about career continuity and resilience, please send me an email, secondbreaks.com. Thing number two, subscribe to the podcast now so you don't miss any of the episodes this season. And thing number three, share the podcast with your friends who may benefit from the conversations that we're going to have this season. Okie dokie, I'll be back next week. In the meanwhile, be safe. Stay home and keep on making your dad, my friend. Cool beans.